On today's episode of the Fandom Science Podcast, we talk about leadership in sports and the many lessons that we can draw from that topic and apply it in our daily lives. So we talked about the different types of leadership that are common in sports, personality traits that are associated with leadership, good leadership behaviors that promote team cohesion and trust, and whether being a leader is something that you're born with or something that you develop over time. All of that and more with Dr. Todd Lougheed, a leadership expert and a sports psychologist from the University of Windsor, Canada. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and if you do, please make sure to leave a like and subscribe to the channel for the best sports science content. So what got you into leadership? Like, how did you decide that this is going to be the, the field that I'm going to specialize in? Well, how I got involved in it was um, back in my PhD, I, I worked with uh, Bert Karen uh, at Western University. And, uh, and Bert Karen was uh, renowned for being a, a group dynamics uh, researcher and a real pioneer in the field, not just in Canada, but worldwide. So I hooked up with him and and really my journey into leadership started through group dynamics and through uh, a, something called cohesion or that team chemistry kind of variable. And from there, you know, just from coaching um, when I was younger and going into my PhD, I, I always had this fascination, fascination with, you know, coaching and leadership and amongst the athletes, leadership that they provided. And that's really how, how I got into it. And, um, so a lot of a lot of what I do is uh, look at this idea of leadership through uh, really a, a group dynamics kind of perspective. That's kind of the the lens I take. Right, and so I mean, leadership has I guess it depends on like different contexts. It might have different meanings. Like if we look at the business world, it might be different from sports, from you know the military, and so on and so forth. But how is leadership defined in sports psychology? So as far as sports psychology is concerned. Like, what does it mean to be a leader? Right. So there's really not much difference from those contexts that you just talked about, whether it be the military or business or sport. They're very similar, actually. And I think we're all borrowing from each other, actually. So in in, in the most basic form, when we talk about leadership, it's about influencing others um, towards a common goal. And that, when you take that perspective, then you can apply it to, to sport, to to military, to business, to, to, you know, being in a music band even. So you can really apply it to whatever context you're in. Right. So oftentimes, like we think about leadership and myself included, I used to think this way before I really uh, dove deep into this idea, but we often think about it as this one trait or this one thing, but in reality, it's comes in many different shapes and takes many different forms. Um, among them is transformational leadership, there's transactional leadership. And do you mind describing each one and what they entail, what the difference is between them? Right. So well, I'll start off maybe with the, the transactional leadership. I think for a lot of um, people listening and, and watching this, they'll, they'll be more familiar with that. And, you know, in sport, what it would look like would be, let's say a, a coach, you know, will reward his or her players because, you know, the coach said, I want you to go out and, and do this and execute it this way. And, and if you do, then I'll give you more, you know, perhaps you'll get more playing time, right? So that that's the transaction that occurs. If you do this for me, then you will be rewarded with this. 
And if you don't do this for me, then perhaps um, you'll be punished in some way, maybe less playing time or less, you know, in hockey, like less power play time or penalty kill time. So that's the transaction that occurs between, it's kind of like the deal between the two parties, okay, between the coach and the athlete, let's say, right? Whereas transformational, it, it, the name really implies what, it, what it's getting at. It's this idea of taking the people you're leading and making them, uh, well, obviously better in the sense of maybe making them the future leaders down the road or inspiring them in some way, being a positive role model for them. But it's really trying to elevate them to a higher level. Right. And that's really the difference between the two. And, and what I would say on that front is to be a, a successful leader, you, you have to do both, right? Um, I think what we, we tend to forget sometimes is that um, we, we want to be always this, uh, this positive and transformational type of leader, but that's not always possible. There are times when we need people okay, if you do this, then you're, you're going to get more playing time or you're going to, I'm going to trust you more or something. And there's that transaction. So to, we have to do both types. What we don't know though, is we know it's important to do both types, but what we don't know is what's that right mix between the two to be, you know, to be a successful leader. And, you know, maybe down the road, we'll look at that in, in some of our research, but right now, we know they're both important. We just don't know what the right balance is between the two. Right. And so, but you, in your opinion, you would think that maybe uh, recently transactional has been a bit overlooked just because everybody's trying to be positive and supportive and transformational. Well, I, I think the pendulum swung for, for many, many years. It was the transactional was what we, we, we historically knew. You know, that one was like, it's like the, the stick and carrot approach, right? Like you're chasing that carrot. And if I do well, I'll get rewarded for it. Um, and, and then the pendulum swung and we went more to this um, transformational and we kind of forgot about the transactional. And what we have found in, in some of our research in, in sport anyways, is that the, the, the most successful leaders will, will use a combination of both. And, and some of our research, when we've asked the, the athletes, how important are these transformational and transactional leadership behaviors? And, you know, not if they're happening, but just tell us how important they are. What we found was that they, they rate both the transformational and the transactional equally as, as important. Right. So it, it goes to show you that you, you do have to have that balance. Yeah. And I think you're right about kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater there with the transactional because, um, for a long time, not only in sports, but outside of sports, transactional was the way to go. Um, like you do something right, you're rewarded. You do something wrong, you're punished. And of course, there's a lot of flaws in that, but it doesn't mean that you should throw away all the benefits of it too. Because, you, you know, as humans, we kind of, st we still need that motivation of reward and, um, or even the motivation of not being punished. Correct. And, and what, you know, you see that transactional, you know, uh, I'm a soccer fan and, uh, you know, a player might not be having a great game and you'll notice, you know, they'll get subbed early on in, in the game. And it's usually because, well, they're not performing. So they haven't held up to their end of the bargain. And so what the, the coach or manager is going to do is, you know, make that substitution 
And what you hope then is that uh, they'll talk to the player, you know, perhaps after the game and debrief and use, okay, so the transaction was, you didn't do what I said, so I substituted you. But then the transformational part is teaching them, here's the why, why I had to do it, why wasn't it working, why you didn't execute this way. And that would be the more transformational part then, right? And that's why, I know, I think to be an effective leader, you got to have strong communication skills, you know, between yourself and whoever you're leading. Yeah, I think communication is absolutely key. And that brings us to to the next point is I want to ask you about what are the good, effective leadership behaviors that have been identified in, in sports psychology before we get into the Actually, actually, before we get into the behaviors, maybe it's better if we talk about the personality traits and then we can go into behavior. So has there been any personality or characteristic traits that have been identified that good leaders have within them? Yeah, great, great question. And the, the, the simple answer is no, there's not a, a common a personality trait out there, right? It, it, um, what we have found in, in some of our research and that hasn't been, you know, published yet. But um, what we found was um, there's a, a common uh, personality test called the Big Five, and it, it measures things like uh, neuroticism, which is, um, you know, that idea of self-consciousness and impulsiveness and that sort of thing, or extroversion, which you know people are more, you know, outgoing or cheerful. And uh, agreeableness, which is, you know, that, that um, feeling of being trustworthy or unselfish and uh, being conscientious or open to, to experiencing new things. And that, that's what makes up the big five in a nutshell. And when we have used this, this tool to find out, okay, does it predict certain leadership behaviors? There's no pattern to it. And so again, what it, what it really points to is that there's not one personality trait. It's that combination. And you're, you probably want to have, to some degree, all of these things uh, will help you be a better leader, right? If you're, you know, if you're cheerful, if you're outgoing, if you're organized, if you're, you know, um, attentive and creative. And so again, there's not going to be that one prototypical personality trait. That's really interesting. So even, um, so speaking from my experience, um, I, I did the the personality test a while ago and I can't, I can't remember what I scored on the other four, but I remember agreeableness and I, I was in the 97th percentile in agreeableness. And so I know that that's probably not the best thing, not the best score to have if I want to be an effective leader, because part of agreeableness is empathy and feeling for other people's emotions. And I think that's great for leadership, but as far as being that agreeable to that extreme level, it's probably not that beneficial. If I was to guess, what do you think? Well, you know, maybe to some degree, right. But there's other components of it that are, are quite desirable for a leader, right. That, that being unselfish, right. I Mm -hmm. think uh, to be a, a good leader, you, you want to be unselfish, right? You're there to serve others. And, and I think that's an important quality to have. But I think maybe some of those other personality traits would then help balance everything out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a part of leadership is sometimes making this uh, decision that's not popular among people. 
but it's just the necessary thing to do. And I think, I think maybe if you're conscientious, then that would work for you. If you're too agreeable, you know, at that high of a level, then maybe that will work a bit against you. But I guess finding the balance is. Well, I think you're right. I think one of the toughest tasks uh, uh, of a coach, of a captain, um, is making unpopular decisions. Uh, There's absolutely no doubt about that. It's tough, right? But I think if you can explain that decision and, you know, provide a rationale for it, uh, people might not, obviously, still like the decision, but they might understand where you're coming from. And, you know, uh, you know, living in, through this pandemic right now, we've seen that, right, where um, decisions are made for for the for the good of of people, right? Whether it's uh, mask wearing or, or something to that effect, right? We don't want to do it necessarily, but we understand why we have to do it, and and because of that, because of the leadership has explained that to us, the health professionals or our politicians. Then, then we can go along with it and say, yeah, you know what, this um, this makes sense. I, you know, it, 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 I get hot. I don't like covering my mouth like this, but it, you know, it makes it makes a lot of sense because it has been explained to us that this is a good thing. It's a necessary thing, and and so we go with it. And and I think the same thing applies to sport. Like coaches have to make decisions, or captains make decisions, and they, they might be at times unpopular. But, you know, if, if it's explained, if it's for the good of the team, then, you know, we can go along with it. Yeah. So I guess that goes back to communication and just how important it is, uh, especially in those times when you make something, make an executive decision and it's not popular. That's when it's most important to communicate and say, this is why I made it. Uh, you know, these are the circumstances we're under. And then that communication makes makes it better. Correct. Right. And, 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 and we see that. Um, you know, I think when you have a strong leadership team in, let's say, in the dressing room, then, yeah, then the communication becomes that much more open, right? Because it, the message might not be coming just from one or, or two players, but from a, a core group of players. And when you maybe have that consensus then, then it's, um, it's easier to everyone getting on the same page and, and at least pulling in the same direction. So going back a bit to the big five, um, and, and like you mentioned, we don't know which makeup you should have between all those big five in order to be an effective leader. Uh, but if we were to find that out, I think we would have to break up those big five into just smaller fragments, maybe because the big five are literally big five. They're just too big to kind of um, deduce them into little parts that predict leadership better. So even... Yeah, so even like uh, conscientiousness, and it's comprised of uh, being organized or being uh, having good work ethic and stuff like that. Well, we don't know which one of those little parts can predict leadership better. Yeah, and I would have to, I would totally agree with you on that, Lou. And um, one of the, you know, and, and this was our first attempt at using the Big Five to help, you know, predict um, some of the, some of our leadership behaviors that were we've been interested in over the years. And, and you're right. I think if you can break it down to the more specific, uh, the better off you are. And, and a lot of times that's been a challenge in our, actually in our leadership behavior research is that we have so many behaviors that, um, you know, it, it can, can make it challenging at times from that standpoint. But I, I totally agree with your point. And, and I think the more specific we are, 
the more informed we are then. And, and, and it's better for helping, you know, in, in terms of interventions or anything practical that we want to, you know, educate athletes or coaches about. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, of behaviors, then what are the, some of the good leadership behaviors that sports psychology has identified? Yeah, so right now we've identified over a dozen of leadership behaviors. And and that's not to say that there's not more out there. So just throwing that out to, to begin with. But some of the behaviors that we have found that, you know, people might be familiar familiar with would be things like uh, being a, a good role model. That That is um, one of the big ones in sport, right? When we talk to our athletes. So what, what can you do to be, a, you know, an effective leader? Well, I, I can, you know, I can be a really good role model. And a lot of times they'll say, lead by example, right? We hear that a lot from our athletes. So that's what role modeling is about, leading by example. Other ways that um, athletes can be leaders is uh, social support. So being supportive of your teammates, um, positive feedback, so encouraging them. Um, you know, some of those athletes that, that I've come across are really good at breaking down skills and strategies and techniques and tactics of the sport. And, and there's another behavior that, that they can do. And then, and then, you know, we have more of those transformational that we talked about earlier, but things like um, motivating our teammates, you know, making sure that they're still excited and, and you know, want to keep contributing and keep working hard and persevering. Um, again, those are some of the, some of the behaviors that, you know, that, that we've been looking at over several years now. So again, it, it, there's so many, and we think there's probably more out there, but right now what we're able to, to measure is uh, well over a dozen. Right. And so going back to being the role model and leading by example, and um, I used to, like in the past, I used to think that that's kind of a cliche, but recently I've started to realize just how important and real that effect is. Um, and I, I was listening to Elliot Friedman, who's a hockey insider uh, and a reporter, and he was saying how in the Carolina Hurricanes dressing room, the fact that their coach, Rod Brindamore, is in such good shape that that rubs off on the players and they actually follow him um, and follow his work ethic as far as training and, and staying in shape, recovery and all of that. And so I used to doubt um, not doubted, but I used to like look at it as a cliche, but recently I've started to realize like that's a real thing. I was exactly like you when I first started researching in this area and I would hear those cliches, right? That I got to, you know, I got to lead by example. I think if we start peeling that, that's where you start to see what leading by example means, right? It means having a good work ethic. And that could take on different forms, right? Uh, you know, being on time for practice, doing um, workouts afterwards, eating well, sleeping well. So it's about, okay, leading by example, I, I think, again, is, is such a cliche, but to me, it, it, it's what comes with it. Okay, so what do we mean by leading by example? And it's, you know, it's about those things, right? And here, a lot of times, you know, young players will say, I, you know, I had a, a you know, a player, an older player on the team who I, who mentored me and basically showed me how to be a professional. And I, I, again, well, 
I, I take that from a research perspective and say, okay, it's about, they're showing them how, how to be a professional. So how, how to go about your business, how to, you know, work on and off the ice, how to be a, a you know, a better player, um, a practice player, how to be a better professional off the ice, how to, you know, take care of your body on those off days or, or things of, of, of that sort. Right. So uh, again, I think if we were to ask athletes that they would give us some of those insights like that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of lessons to draw here, even for non-athletes, because I mean, sports, like you can take a million life lessons from it and apply it in real life. And this is one of them. Um, if you find yourself in a managerial position or leader position uh, at some point, it's so important to show the the team that you lead the, the behaviors or like your work ethic or your practices or your routines because if you do the opposite of that but then you preach to the team that you should be doing this and that well your message is not going to resonate with them because you don't do that yourself correct and and what i what i would add to that is you know what people want to see nowadays is people who are authentic or genuine and that's what they expect from their leaders right because they don't want yeah you tell me to do this but you don't do it yourself and, and you're right we want people who lead us uh, that they're, you know, transparent, trustworthy, genuine, authentic, um, that they're making what they're saying is, is, you know, what they also live by. And I think that that's pretty, you know, pretty important. And, you know, I, I, I've coached, I lead my research team here at, at the university and I, I, you know, I try to practice what I preach. And I think that is so important, whether we're coaching you know, youth sport all the way up to the pros. And then, you know, in your own, um, you know, personal life or leading a, a business group or what, what have you, you got to practice what you preach. And uh, that way you come across as, again, as genuine, authentic, and uh, then people can get behind that. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you said that these days, there's more need for genuity and, and being authentic. And not that I know how things were 50 years ago, but I do feel like as time advances, there is more need for being authentic in everything. And I'm not sure why this is happening. Maybe social media plays a role. Maybe, I don't know. But yeah, I think these days there's more need for that. Well, I like to think we're, hopefully we're getting better. We're evolving, right? And we're hope, hope, you know, and I see this a lot when I, when I talk to athletes and coaches, you know, we'll have conversations about, okay, what has changed, you know, coaching nowadays? And probably the biggest thing that the, that coaches say, they'll say athletes want to know why we're doing something like this, you know, whether it's a, you know, a drill and a practice or, or, you know, some sort of strategy for, for gameplay. And uh, the athletes want to know why when I was growing up, you would never question the coach. The coach was, was, you know, uh, had a lot of power and you respected that. And you just, whatever the coach said, you went out and did it. And I think f- for the good that athletes want to know the why now, why are we doing this? They're far more curious, inquisitive about that. They, and, and if you can give them the why, then you can probably get a pretty good buy-in. Yeah. And I was listening to, um, the author of, uh, I think it's called Cracking the Leadership Code. 
Um, I'm not sure if that's the right title or not, but he was on a podcast and he was saying how these days, like people these days of those new generations, and I guess that includes me, but they they look for authenticity and, and being genuine and everything. And sports is one of those things. And he was saying, even if you look at the consumer behavior of people, they, you know, newer generations like to support um, businesses that have a mission, like businesses that use only recycled materials, businesses that donate some of their profit to those organizations, and so on and so forth. And there's just been this huge shift in people's need for transparency and, and, and authenticity. And this is just one of them. I guess athletes are, you know, they're also part of this generation and they look for those things in, in their sport and in their profession. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I don't know much a, a, about this area, but this idea of like being a, a good corporate citizen, right? Yeah. We, we want to get involved or latch on to things that, we are, you know, that are meaningful to us, that have value to us. And, you know, and, and that's why, you know, and sport is one good thing where, you know, a lot of professional sport teams give back to the community, right? And, and I think athletes can easily get on board with that, right? And they'll, they could have a, a you know, a tough, you know, a tough game the night before or get banged up, bruised and got home late from a, from a trip. But the next morning they're at the, you know, the children's hospital. And, and then they're giving back because, you know, hopefully the, the, the team as an organization said, this is what we value. We're going to give back. Our fans give us so much. We have to give back. And I think the players can buy into that, right? That, that idea we will give back, we'll be good corporate citizens and we'll do our part, um, you know, to help those perhaps that are, you know, less fortunate than us or, or something like that. And, and again, that's showing good role modeling. It's, it's showing good. Uh, corporate citizenship. So uh, yeah, totally can, can, can see why, um, you know, players want to get behind this and, 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 you know, get on these initiatives that hopefully make us, uh, you know, society a little better. Yeah. And as easy as it is to get cynical sometimes about those things, especially when it comes to professional sports, because it's easy to say, oh, well, this is a PR move. This is, you know, for publicity and all that stuff. Um, no, I would like to. I would like to give them benefit of the doubt and say, like, no, these they're doing some really good humanitarian work, and it should be celebrated. I think you're right, and I think that um, most athletes will really they do realize how fortunate they are to be, you know, doing what they do. Um, they do it well. They, you know, the a lot of professionals get compensated well for it, um, and they recognize that they, you know, it. They have the values that yeah, I'm going to give back, and you know a lot. A lot of them will start foundations for for their charities and and um, and, and try to raise money to help you know help those in need. And and what a, what a great thing! And I know we can become easily cynical and and say this is a great PR move and and it's for their branding and, and whatnot. But I don't know. I think those athletes who do it for a sustained period of time. Um, they 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 genuinely want to give back. You know, part of the problem is though, it, they get they get so many requests. I'm sure, and it, it probably makes it tough. You know, to uh, to do everything. You know, for you know for everyone. But I I, I really believe that they uh, they do want to give back, and and they try to be you know good good leaders in, in that sense, in, in their own way. And everyone does it a little differently, probably. 
Yeah, and a lot of them do it behind the scenes too. With there's no cameras and there's no nothing, and they do it out of you know the goodness of their heart, and that's amazing too. Absolutely. Yeah. So the reason I was asking you about good leadership behaviors is not only so that we can learn what a good leader looks like, but also I was wondering, you know, if I'm a scouting, if I'm scouting a player leading up to the draft, let's say, I'm identifying my pool of prospects, and I want to know which one of them has good leadership skills or could potentially be a good leader for my team in the future. Um, what are the things that I should be looking at here? And aside from having them fill out a questionnaire, which we're going to get to in a little bit, but aside from that, as far as observing behaviors, what are the things that I should be looking for? So it's a really difficult question to ask. It's a, it's a really good question. It's a difficult one because leadership is, is very complex. And as we, I think as we've shown, you know, in, in our discussion today, it can take on so many different forms. And so it's hard to pinpoint, you know, the, the one or two things to, to look for, you know, in, in a potential, you know, draft, draft pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it all depends to on, on what, you know, you, let, let's use the NHL. There's, you know, 31 teams coming 32 now with Seattle joining and, and everyone, I'm sure all those organizations will say, you know, leadership is important. We, we want to have, you know, players who can demonstrate some sort of leadership potential. Now, I'm sure that there's probably 32 different ways they're going to evaluate that, you know, and, and, and that's the tricky part. So, you know, if a, if a, a club ever contacted me and, and asked me this question, I would, first of all, want to know from, from a potential draft pick, I would, you know, ask some of the questions about, okay, what's, what does leadership mean to you? And I would be looking for those behaviors that, that I talked about earlier. That would be one that I'd be really curious about. A second area I'd be asking about um, is a, this idea of authentic, authenticity. Okay, so again, you can do all these leadership behaviors, but if you don't do them with um, in an authentic or genuine way, you're probably not, you're not going to be an effective leader. Okay. So, so you have the leadership behavior on one hand that I'd be interested in. You have this idea how trying to figure out how genuine or authentic they are. And, and probably the third one I would tackle would be trying to get a sense of their emotional intelligence. And, and that we, we talked a little bit about earlier when we talked about this idea of empathy. And that's mm-hmm. one component of being an emotionally intelligent person is this idea of empathy. And there's some other components to it. But if we can, you know, for me, I'd be tackling those, those three areas. And I think in doing so, uh, what we would be tapping into is not only leadership, but also their character. And I think teams are, are very interested in a player's character. You know, yeah. they want to make sure that they're going to draft somebody who is a, a, a solid, you know, person with good morals, good values, who, who hopefully has good leadership potential. And uh, they're, they're going to be a, a, a good um, fit for our organization. And, and, and I think, so if it, if it, Club called me. Those would be the three areas I'd be, you know, tackling for that club. 
Yeah. Can we expand yeah. a little bit more on emotional intelligence? Because it's, it's kind of like a, I think it's even for experts themselves, it's not really like a, that well understood of a, of a concept, but what does it really mean to be an emotionally intelligent person aside from, aside from like being empathetic, which we talked about. Right. So this, this idea of being emotionally intelligent is this notion of being able to manage your emotions and the ability to manage emotions in, in others. Now, in, in, in the context of sport, you know, probably in the context of trying to win. Okay. So, so it has, it's really a two prong uh, view here. One is you got to be able to handle your own emotions. And on the other hand, how can you manage the emotions of others? So th that's the two components. And, um, that, you know, and then within that, you, you really get, um, various components to it. Um, probably the most, um, famous person or notable person to bring this to the, to the mainstream was, um, an author by the name of Daniel Goleman. And he talked about this idea of, uh, emotional intelligence that, you know, it contains obviously what we just talked about, the ability to manage yourself. And that would be being self-aware. So knowing your strengths and weaknesses as a leader, and then from a behavioral standpoint, be able to self-regulate those emotions. So, you know, managing your own impulses and internal states, you know, sometimes we get angry. How can we control that? How can we make it uh, uh, not detrimental to our performance? And then in terms of the more managing others, here it's, it's really being socially aware. And, and, and so it's things like uh, empathy, right? Um, being aware of other people's feelings, their needs, their concerns, and, and being able to address them. And then the, the second component to that would be like a, being strong in your social skills. And so again, we, we've talked about being able to communicate well, but also how to handle conflict, how to, re, you know, have good conflict resolution skills, being a, a good teammate. So being more cooperative, perhaps. So um, that's, that's what we're getting at when we're talking about this idea of being emotionally intelligent. Do you think that sometimes, speaking of scouting and drafting and all of that, do you think sometimes that leadership is misunderstood and often looked at as this must have quality when in reality you need followers on your team? You know, you can't have 25 guys be leaders because then they're just going to clash. But do you think sometimes it's misunderstood as like, well, you got to have this quality. What if you don't have it? Is that the worst thing? No, it's not the worst thing. And how I like to, explain it to people and, and what our research has shown is so I, I take the perspective of that not everybody on a particular team may be a leader okay so not everybody wants to be the captain or the assistant captain or part of that that core group of leaders so so you have this i this notion of okay there's going to be people who are going to lead and they're the leaders okay fine and what I try to also emphasize is what we can do, though, for those who might not wear the C or the A on their jersey is let's develop leadership, though, in everybody. Okay, so even those people who are followers, 
let's develop their leadership potential. Okay, and knowing full well, they're not going to be the captains down the road and that sort of thing. But what we're trying to do is create a more effective team environment, right, of more positive behaviors that are happening, right? So a lot of these leadership behaviors that I talked about are really just good life skills to have. And so if you're, um, you know, if you're, um, you know, not comfortable being in, in a in a leadership role, you can still do these behaviors, right? You can still be encouraging your teammates. You can still, you know, uh, provide positive feedback. And I think what we have to get past is the notion that one leader is going to be able to do everything. It's just not possible. You know, as I said earlier, we have over a dozen of these leadership behaviors. How can one person do all of them well? Right. And because they might not be, be comfortable with certain elements of being in that, you know, doing that leadership behavior. And so that's why it's so important to kind of spread the spread the wealth a bit and making sure you have a strong leadership group. But also for those people who don't want to be a part of that, teaching them the leadership behaviors just gives them good life skills. But then they can understand better when a leader might be coming to them and, and talking to them and saying, okay, I know where you're coming from. I, I understand this, right? And, and the, I would never want to um, not develop leadership in everyone because what, what happens is at some point, maybe because you're a really good player, uh, you, you're identified of, uh, as a future captain. And, 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 and perhaps that player um, doesn't want any of that, but yet there's a, somebody else who, who, who wants to, who is motivated to, to, to want to be a leader. And they might not be the best player, but why limit their, their growth and their potential? So for me, that, it's, a, it's an important um, distinction to make between what's a leader and what's leadership. Because I think even in terms of followers, they can still do leadership. It might, they might not do it all the time, but when it's necessary, they can step in and, and do it. And that's, we talk a lot about in our research, shared leadership, this idea of a, a collective and, and coming in and out of leadership roles at times. So you might not be the, you know, the, the, the best at explaining, um, you know, a, a strategy or a particular um, technique to, to your teammate, but you're really good at, at listening and, and showing that empathy and helping them through their problems. And so, you know, if that's your strength, play that strength and you can be a, you know, a, a leader in that way. So, so again, it's really this idea of a, of a shared collective kind of leadership uh, and everyone pulling together in the same direction. Now, this idea of followership and, and whatnot, in some of our research, what, we, what we've done is that we've asked players, tell us the leaders on your team. And of course, when we do that, we get, you know, there's always a couple that emerge that everybody thinks they're, that's who the leader is. But what surprised us in, in, in a lot of ways was every athlete was, was rated or nominated by at least one teammate as being a leader. So again, it really points to this idea of, of being shared and collective. Of course, not everyone's gonna do it to the same extent, but it's just amazing that everyone was, every player on every team 
or teams we've surveyed so far that there's everyone's being asked to be a you know they're viewed as a leader by their teammates in some capacity and that's really fascinating and again so it really points to this idea should we be developing the few or the many and it would appear let's develop as many as we can that's really interesting because i yeah that's i didn't think about it that way because i thought oh maybe they're overvaluing uh leadership or maybe they're kind of trying to distribute it among among everyone and in reality they should focus on you know the two or three leaders on the team but when you explain just how important it is to have leadership qualities not necessarily being an actual you know leader but just having those qualities in as many people as you can just how good that would do for the for the for the team and for the cohesion the trust in the team exactly and that and that's what we found right it really helps all those other uh team level variables like the the cohesion the trust uh, a big one we've looked at is satisfaction as well. The athletes are more satisfied, you know, when they when they feel there's this bountiful amount of, of leadership available to me, um, they're they're more they're happier. So I, I think that there's a a lot of good that can come from um, developing the many as opposed to the the few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe one thing that's that stuck out to me too is when I asked you if I'm a scout, what I should be looking at. And you said, well, it's tricky because it's not like there's, you know, one, two, three that you look at and then that explains leadership. So that in itself is useful because that's important for scouts to know that, Hey, if you, if you're looking at an athlete and you're looking at their leadership skills and you don't see what you think is leadership, it doesn't mean that they don't have leadership because there's also a hundred other things that, that are so important to, to, to being a leader. That that's right seeing. and what you don't see is as important as what you see correct and, and that's why it's so important to um, if you're going to try to evaluate leadership to really um, be comprehensive and as widespread as you can with it because um, again it's going to take on many different forms and um, and that's probably why you know I think a, hopefully a good scout will try to ask as many different people as, as possible because the coach might think one thing, but you ask a few players or, you know, the equipment manager and they might have a totally different, uh, you know, uh, answer to that question. And so, you know, you, you hear a lot. I know a few years ago when Alex Anthopoulos was the uh, general manager of the Blue Jays and, you know, they're looking to bring in some players and uh, Alex Anthopoulos would ask so many uh, people about that, that person's character and their leadership. What would they bring to the clubhouse? And the idea was you just don't ask a, a few people about them. Try to get a, you know, a, a wide sample. And I, I know it was the, the clubhouse equipment manager. And it was anyone who, you know, would be in contact with this person. And uh, I, I think that's pretty smart because then, then you kind of get that, 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 that whole picture of who that person is maybe on a, on a leadership capacity. So it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess one person with, you know, their idea of leadership would, would shape their view of this player as a leader, whereas, you know, the equipment manager compared to the coach would have a different idea of what leadership is and therefore a different uh, perspective on this player and how good oh, he totally, is. Totally. You know, one of the, the big things when I work with, um, you know, some athletes and, and they'll come, you know, and sit down with me and, and we'll have a, a conversation and, and they'll say, you know, the, the coach wants me to be 
to be a leader. And, and, and that's pretty common. You hear that all the time. The coach wants me to step up and, 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 and you know, be a leader on this team. And the athlete has no idea what to do. Right. And so, like I mentioned before, what we'll do, what I'll do with them is, is talk through these, these, you know, dozen or so leadership behaviors and, and they'll go, wow, I didn't know that was leadership because they think it's this almost this hero like thing, right? That you got to have a cape on and, uh, and, and be above everybody. And yet in a lot of ways, what it is, it's doing these, these leadership behaviors, just do them really well. And it, it's not heroic, you know, and that's probably how we viewed leadership many decades ago is this idea of the leader being so much better than everyone else. And in a lot of ways, um, I'm glad we swung that pendulum to where we're at the point now of you don't have to be this idea of a heroic leader. You just do these behaviors. They might seem like everyday kind of common sense behaviors, but do them extremely well and you'll be effective then uh, as a leader. And I think that that's huge because a lot of times our athletes don't know what we want them to do from a leadership standpoint. So that's really interesting. So I guess leadership is kind of, in a way, it's kind of like on ice or on field skills. Like you don't ask a, you know, if you're a shutdown defenseman and you're really good at preventing um, rushes against you and high quality chances. Okay, well then stick to that. Don't try to move the puck up the neutral zone and create a play and score goals. No, that's not your thing. Leave that to someone else. Stick with what you know and you'll be at your best. Same way with leadership. If you're the guy who, or the girl who's the best at communicating with teammates, uh, caring for them, listening to their problems, helping them through social, professional, and you know, uh, personal things, stick to that. You don't. Maybe you don't have to be the you know the rah rah guy who sits in the locker room and yells and screams. Like leave that to someone else. Correct, and that, that's exactly. And I think your analogy of the shutdown defenseman is quite quite um, quite well taken here. Right. You, that's your role. That's your job. And the same thing can be applied to leadership. Do what you're comfortable with, what you feel you can do well. And that's how you're going to contribute to this, this idea of this shared leadership within the group. And that's, that's exactly what we want. Right. Um, don't go, you know, we want players, we would try to push players out of their comfort zone to get better. But at the end of the day, there's some players that will never be the, that raw, raw in the dressing room, that vocal leader. It's just not in them, but yet they might be a great one-on-one mentor for somebody, right? But they're just not comfortable speaking up like that in the dressing room. And it's probably more important on the team just to have that mix, right? Uh, of, of people who, who will step, you know, speak up in the dressing room when necessary. And, and those people who might do it a little more um, quietly on, on the side. And, and I think that's, that's a really good point that, that you make there. Right. So we're talking about shared leadership and how important it is to have different types of leaders. Um, would it be fair to call them like archetypes of leaders, let's say, on a team or types or whatever it may be? Um, what are the types of leaders that have been identified in sports psychology that are good to have on the team? So we talked about like the, the good social support and then technical, yeah. maybe, like example. what else? Yeah, well... If, you know, you have leaders who can be more, what we've called more task related, 
So those are your the, probably the leaders who are more, you know, really good at uh, communicating the um, or leading by example on on the field, on the pitch, on the ice, uh, on the court. And they're you know lead by example really well in that context. They they provide good uh, technical or tactical you know instructions or advice in that context. So anything that's related to helping the t- team perform better while doing the, the, you know, the activity, right? The sport, that would be more your task. Then you got the leaders who are more, uh, where like social. Um, so more, you know, the, the glue that maybe keeps the dressing room together. They're more the, the, uh, social convener where they'll organize, you know, team dinners and team get togethers and, and maybe keep everyone connected on, on social media and, and that sort of thing. And, so you have those types of, of leaders and then you got more your external leaders as well. So those are the leaders who are, you know, don't mind talking maybe to the media or being that, that, that team rep um, out in the community and, and they're very comfortable in that role, right? They're the, like, kind of the face of the, of the team or of the franchise. Um, and they're all, they could also be liaising with the, the coaching staff as well. Okay, so that's the more external. Uh, you got um, leaders who are more uh, change oriented, so they're trying to innovate and 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 maybe get people to see problems from a, a whole different perspective, or get them to think about things differently, and you know maybe more progressively or something like that. So you, you have these these different types of of leaders that are you know kind of like the big five. Either probably a lot goes into them, but on the surface, yeah, I would say you have, like I just said, the social, the task, the external, the change type people. And, and, and again, probably having a good mix within a, a team is, is, is probably a good thing. Yeah, I was always, and we, we touched on this uh, a little bit ago, but I was just reading this paper about how having all those types of leaders on one team uh, and the more the more of those types of leaders that you have on a team, they're positively uh, correlated with team confidence and, and even team performance and just overall satisfaction of everyone on the team. Absolutely. Right. It, it's, it's about having that, um, like you said, that balance. And I think that that is key, right? Uh, just like anything, you don't want to have too much of one thing. It probably hurt, hurts you in some capacity, right? Uh, you know, a good analogy here would be like, uh, you know, the NHL, like we have our, our typically our top six forwards who, you know, they're there to generate the offense. And then, you know, you might have your third, fourth line. The third line maybe is a, a more of a defensive role on some teams that they'll shut down the other team's top line. And then the fourth line, if they can go out and, and, and maybe change the momentum or, you know, uh, be that energy line, that's their role. Well, no different with leadership, right? It, it's it's probably having that that mix is is going to serve you best, and I, and I, I think a lot of coaches get that, right? Yeah, or organizations get that. They they really try hard to have uh, that diversity within um, within their dressing room because ultimately it's going to help with their performance, and uh, it's going to help the team play better. They're going to have the right mix, that right chemistry, and. Um, you know, and I think the same thing applies to, to leadership. You, you want to have that mix because that way it gives not everyone gets a chance to to maybe uh, get into a role that they're comfortable with. And if they can 
get into that leadership role that they're comfortable with, then they're going to, um, you know, contribute to the team uh, more positively. And if they feel they can contribute to the team, then you get, you know, the idea of, of, of cohesion going up, of, of um, communication being more effective. And, and once that's, that gets, you know, rolling, then I think the, uh, everyone feels good about themselves. They feel good about the team. They feel the teams, you know, everyone's pulling in the right direction. And, uh, and then you have, a, I think, a pretty harmonious kind of uh, group going on. So, yeah. And so that had me thinking is, is the, the more and more I learned about how important it is to have like a, a shared leadership with, with different people taking on different roles. Um, I remembered this about a year ago or so. Uh, a bunch of NHL players were surveyed about the importance of having a team captain. Um, yeah. And uh, I had to keep going back to the NHL, but you know, that's what happens when you get two Canadians on a podcast, I guess. But uh, so th- all those players were surveyed about the importance of having a captain. So just one guy with a C on his jersey um, and how important that is to, to the team. And the votes were actually divided. I think it was like 50-50 or something where some thought that having a captain uh, is necessary and you got to have someone. And then others thought that, no, it's okay if you don't have a captain as long as you got a leadership group. Um, what would you, your thoughts be on having like this one primary leader as a captain? Like, is that necessary? Of course, we talked about leadership, shared leadership and how important it is. And that's outside the question. But I'm saying as far as like having that one primary captain. If we're talking within the context of hockey, it seems the answer is yes. You know, we, we uh, you know, sport talk radio talks a lot about it and we spend countless hours debating it. And, you know, I know that Toronto Maple Leafs went through this right before, before naming John Tavares as, as the captain, yep. right? Uh, should it have been Austin Matthews or, you know, Morgan Riley or, or, you know, ultimately it ended up being John Tavares. I mean, we were, I think we're really fascinated by this idea of someone wearing the C and, yeah. and yet what I would say is you, you can make the argument that it is very important that you still want that that one player that that is maybe is kind of the organizer of all the other leaders, right? And so I think there's some validity in, validity in that, right? And and hopefully that 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 one that that captain, let's say that John Tavares or whoever it is, is also comfortable sharing that leadership within the dressing room. And I think. That's the case in, in, in a lot of teams that, you know, um, you know I, I know in Montreal, like Shea Weber's the captain. There was so much debate. Should it have been Brandon Gallagher because he had been there for, for many years. And, and ultimately, you know, Tavares got in Toronto and Shea Weber in, in Montreal. And, but yet they, these people spoke saying, I, yeah, I might be captain, but other people, could have easily been given this, this, this honor. And, and what it speaks to then is that them saying, look, I might be, have the C on my Jersey, but I'll also have, there's other great leaders in this room who could do a, a great job as well. And I, and I think that's important. I think it, it, it's, it might be important to have that, that one leader who can 
like I said before, who can get, get everybody on the same page and pulling in the same direction, but knowing they're not going to be everything to everyone. And that's why it's important to have other people helping you out. And we've seen that a lot in our research where, you know, the captain will say, I'm blessed by having such solid um, leaders surrounded, you know, that I'm surrounded with. And uh, they help me out tremendously because I know if I can't do this, I know this person can and I'll send them to go and, and, and do that. And um, I think that that's pretty, that's pretty important that, um, you know, you, you get that mix of, 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 of that. I know I keep saying that, but it, you know, uh, quite a few years ago, I heard uh, Ken Holland speak. And um, the question was, how do you build a championship team? And obviously he had some, some success there in Detroit for, for many years. And the one, thing, one of the things he said, he said, look, you know, I, I, obviously I'm a leader in all of this. And, um, and, and at the time, Mike Babcock was the coach of the Red Wings. And he said, you know, Coach Babcock is a leader. But he said, really, where the leadership really happens is within that dressing room amongst the players. He said, they're the ones who are always together. And he talked at the time that, yeah, I, I might have overpaid for a player to get that intangible quality of being a good leader and, and being a, you know, and I'll have multiple players like that in, in my dressing room because they're, they're so important towards building a championship club and um but he really saw it as a, a collective effort effort starting you know with him as gm going down to the coach and then to the players but everyone doing their thing and he really felt the dressing room was so important though that you know he was willing to overspend at times to get that right mix of leadership within the dressing room because it's so important to have all of that all of those qualities it's it's unfair to have one person carry on all those roles anyway i i think it's unfair I, again going back to this idea of of that person can't be everything to everyone and yeah. and what happens then when that that player might you know get injured or be suspended or, or whatever the case may be you, you have to have others who can step in and, and fill that void mm-hmm. and and you don't want to get caught shorthanded there you know in a lot of ways right so it it's a good thing that you know, hopefully you're, you've got good leadership that can step in, but also grooming um, the next wave of, of leaders in your organization. And I think good organizations do that. Good teams do that, right? They plan ahead, like succession planning, like a lot of businesses do. I think the same thing can happen within a sport club that, you know, this is a future leader of our club, but we're going to bring him or her along, um, you know, slowly, appropriately. And, and, and down the road, they, they could be a leader on this club. And, and again, it really points to trying to, you know, develop more than one person into that role. Yeah, you're very right about businesses across all settings. Um, the good ones who, who facilitate a good culture and a good leadership culture, they, they groom the up-and-coming leaders from, from earlier stages. They don't give them, you know, too much responsibility to take on right away just slowly but surely until they develop into competent leaders. Correct. Yeah. You, you, and, and that's smart. That's smart training. I, I mean, uh, 
and I, yeah, I just think it's it's so, so smart, so prudent, and, and and yet very responsible, and um, and I'm, and I think the the, the player that's what they that's that's what they want, that's what they need. Um, they don't need all that extra responsibility, that extra pressure put on them, because ultimately they're there to perform, and you don't want to detract from that. So. You know, it's always tricky when you give a young player the captaincy because they're, you know, a very good player. Um, you know, you really got to know your team in order to do that, right? And, uh, you know, we saw that in Edmonton, that Connor McDavid was was given the captaincy fairly early on. Uh, but you got to know, okay, can he handle it? And do we surround him also with, with you know, other strong leaders to, to help him out and navigate, you know, what it is to, to be a good NHL captain? Mm-hmm. I was actually, that was going to be my next question is Connor McDavid. So I have no doubt about his leadership ability or the respect that he has among his peers, especially that he's clearly the best player in the world. So he obviously commands respects from his peers and he can lead by example and all that. But I wanted to get your thoughts on, and we see this in professional sports all the time, where the team makes the best player on the ice, their captain or their leader. Um, not on the ice necessarily, like whatever sport it might be. They make the best player the captain uh, because he's the face of the franchise and he's got the most importance to the franchise Um, and not necessarily because they're genuinely the best leader, maybe. What do you think about that practice? I think you got to be very careful. And and that's, and and for some players, yeah, they're, they're, that they want it, they want it bad, they're hungry for it, and, and they can handle everything that comes with it. And for others, it, it's not for them. And and a, a really good example of that, okay, so we have the Connor McDavid, right, who I think embraced it, took it on, is, is, a, is a strong leader. On the other hand, you have somebody like um, Paul Pogba at Manchester United, who is a very talented player, uh, very skilled um, at United cr- pundits critics would say Pogba's got to be a, a better leader okay because he was an expensive player he's a very skilled player but he, it doesn't seem to be in him okay because they bring in recently uh, Bruno Fernandez they brought him in he's a midfield player and what has happened is that he is viewed more now as the leader in the midfield as opposed to Paul Pogba and what has happened since Fernandez has been on on with Manchester it's almost it has freed Paul Pogba that he doesn't feel that pressure responsibility of having to lead the team on the field now and you know people we're saying like Pogba plays some of his best soccer when he's playing for the national team in, for France. And part of it is he's surrounded by so many great players, great leaders. He doesn't have to do that role there. And so here's a good example of a player who is very skilled, but probably not comfortable being the leader, right? I think Pogba can lead and lead in his own way. But he, he's not the leader, and that's not in, in his makeup. And he's, he'll play better, and he has played better when, when he's not viewed as, that, as, that, as the leader. And I think 
you know, there's a good lesson there that the best players don't always make the best captains, right? It, it's, it's, again, it's knowing your personnel and, and, and sometimes it's going to be that best player. Other times it's not. And, and that's okay. It's more about, I think, finding, um, you know, a leader who, or leaders who are well-respected within the dressing room. I think that's key. Yeah, and I think Pogba is a perfect example because before Bruno got to Man U, he was always um, hinting that he wants out of Man U. He wants to, to be sold somewhere. Um, and I think playing in a market like Manchester United, where like that demand for being a leader, even though you, you're just not... It's kind of like Phil Castle in Toronto. It's like, hey, I, I just want to go about my business, creating offense, scoring goals. Don't put that pressure on me. But it's the same way in Manchester United. And then Bruno comes along and now he's saying he wants to stay. He doesn't want to leave anymore. And I guess he's more comfortable because now he's thriving in that role that he is at his best at. Right. And there's not that pressure on him to be, the, like I said, the leader. And I think Pogba will lead in his own way and do yeah. his own thing. And, and, and that's probably what's best for him. Right. And it's good that, you know, it worked out this way for, for Manchester United that um, you take away that that pressure uh, whereas for Bruno Fernandez seems he loves it he seems to be eating it up he he wants the spotlight on him he doesn't mind it and it probably helps Pogba and maybe other players on the team as well you know mm-hmm. deflect some of that or share that leadership right because on a team like United they're uh, you know big brand they're big club high expectations And, and yet still a young club, they're rebuilding, they're a young club, and you got players like Marcus Rashford, who still a young player, but seems to be developing into a leader. And we saw during the pandemic, uh, him, um, you know, going against the Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson and, and some of the cutbacks that were going to happen there, and, and he fought against it, and, and, and he actually turned the decision around for, for that funding for, for a meal program. So again, Um, I think, I think some players will thrive under that and, and want to be it when they're skilled and some who it's just not in them and, and that's okay. You know, they'll yeah. do it differently. Yeah, absolutely. So with almost every human trait, uh, people always debate whether leadership, leadership is one of them and people debate whether it's something you're born with or something that you can develop and i'm not going to ask you whether it's nature or nurture because that's not fair to ask you it's nobody knows um and also we've learned that time and time again the answer to that question is that in most cases it's both um but i do want to ask you how much of being a leader do you think is inherent and how much of it is taught like do you still need a certain baseline of inherent abilities and then on top of that you can build with with things that are your taught or how does that work in your opinion your expertise I, yeah well I, i guess i can't dodge the question right like yeah i told you i won't ask you the question but yeah. then i asked you the question anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> so nature versus nurture yeah, yeah. Um, you know what i what i teach in, in, in my leadership and sport class is it, it's a bit of both it, hard to give the percentage of what it is But it's both, I, I, you know, and I think what we just talked about, you know, whether it's Connor McDavid or Paul Pogba, you know, there are some players who want it, right? And so perhaps that's more the, the nature, right? They, 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 they think it's important, they value it, it's in them, 
okay? And, and, and that's just the trait that they have. And for others, and probably for a lot of us, it's developed, right? It's, it's, and that's the part that I focus in on a lot because I can't change how you were, you know, raised or how you, you know, what your situation was growing up. But I can teach you and I can develop it. And, and so I think everyone has that capacity to, you know, to, to develop it. We, we can teach it. And so I focus a lot more of my energy on what we can control because that's what we do as sport psychology, you know, consultants and, and researchers is focus on the controllables. And that's one we can control that we can develop this. So I, I, I take that perspective and, um, but you also have to understand, and that's why I talked earlier about some people will don't want to be leaders, but we can still teach them leadership as the skill, right? And, and develop that, even though we know they don't want to be that the next captain or next leader, like you said, the Phil Kessel, right? But we can still teach Phil Kessel how, how, what leadership is and how to do it. And, and, and he'll probably do it, but he doesn't want to be the main leader or one of the main leaders, right? Let him do his thing. Let him score. That's what he's paid to do. And he's happy doing that, but we can still teach him these, these life skills. So yeah, it can be taught. It can be taught to anyone. And um, we take the perspective that, yeah, when we do teach it to everyone, it makes for a better functioning team. And mm -hmm. so we, we try to increase cohesion, reduce conflict, uh, create better communication, create better team confidence, um, more satisfaction. So there's a lot of benefit to this. Yeah. And so I suppose like, one way to look at it is whether how much is nature, how much is nurture or, you know, whether it's one or the other, maybe that all depends on to what extent do you want to develop this person to be a leader? Like to what extent of leadership do you want them to achieve? Just have basic leadership skills. Well, okay. That's, that's going to be different than if you want to groom someone to be the face of the team and the, and the big leader. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that front. And, um, Again, um, I, I believe the, the solution is develop as many people as you can, develop everyone as you can. You're knowing full well that not everyone's going to develop into the leader or a core part of that leadership group. But nonetheless, you're going to have athletes who are, you know, better teammates. And when you have better teammates, we know that that helps performance, right? That people can get along better they can uh, communicate better they can be more trustworthy they you know so they can do their part they can you know we talk a lot about you know um, knowing your role this is one way we can do that because we know knowing your role accepting your role and doing it well can help with performance as well so this is one way of, of doing that as well yeah and so i want to end on this because i would like to hear your thoughts on from someone who's a leadership expert, uh, what are some myths or misconceptions about leadership out there that are common in sports or outside of sports even that you hear all the time, but you know from your knowledge that it's either not true or they're, it's, you know, misunderstood? Yeah, and I think we touched up upon a lot of them, uh, you know, today is one, that the best players are, are going to be your, your, your leaders because they're not always going to be that. And a good example of that was when um, 
you know, the, the Toronto Maple Police brought in uh, Patrick Marlowe, right? They, they brought him in for what we would call, you know, veteran leadership. He was, you know, a player who was, um, you know, mid-30s, uh, skill set, you know, probably in decline to some degree, not what he would, once was, with, you know, when he was with San Jose. But yet, you know, he was um, brought in to provide the, that leadership for a young group of players, right? When it, the team needed that, right? And and so that so so again, not the best player. So there's that myth of of it has to be the best player. No, here I've got a, a good example in Patrick Marlowe, someone with a wealth of experience, and and that's important, right? And he was, I think, highly valued and respected. Problem was he was, uh, you know, it hurt their salary cap, right? But without the salary cap in play, um, he was quite valued within that, 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 you know, within that dressing room. So that would be one kind of myth I would dispel. It's that the best players don't necessarily make the best leaders. The second thing is, again, from a, this nurture nature kind of perspective, you know, I don't think it's one or the other, um, that it's, there's going to be a bit of both in, in that. But having said that, I, I do believe we, we can develop it. Even those who are probably the most reluctant, we, we can make them better, you know, and, and whether they go into a leadership role down the road, who knows, but at least we've given them some positive, good life skills. And then um, probably lastly is the, um, the notion that there's the one leader is going to carry a, a club, a team. Um, what we have shown uh, repeatedly is it's really a collective. And it's nice to hear nowadays when teams talk about a leadership core or leadership group. I, I think that's, well, not that I think, I know that that's what's the right thing. To, to happen and it's good that we're seeing it and not all the responsibility and all that pressure thrust onto one or two people within the within the club doing it by committee is the, is the way to go it, yeah, yeah yeah doing it by committee is a good way yeah Very I think, yes and i and i think patrick marlowe is actually a perfect example because um and correct me if i'm wrong but i think when he was in san jose he was given the captaincy at some point and then stripped of the captaincy. Uh, and I think he was just expected to display this sort of type of leadership that he just didn't have within him. Maybe he had a different idea of leadership, had a different type of leadership that he's best uh, at performing. And that maybe that was misunderstood and they took away the captaincy from him. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Obviously, no, don't know the, the details of what happened in that situation, but you're right. He... He was the captain. He was stripped of that captaincy. And a lot of times when that happens, you know, you, you, you would expect the player to demand a trade. Mm-hmm. You know, they want out. They, they were, you know, obviously uh, could be perceived as being insulted or, you know, that they're, you know, no longer viewed as being important for that club. But he, um, no, he went, you know, back, not, not back to the rank and file, but, he, you know, maybe it suited more of what he thought leadership was and what he could do for the club and not necessarily that maybe the seed just wasn't for him. I, I, I don't know, but um, you know, 
I, I don't doubt for a second that uh, with or without the C, Marlow was still providing leadership. And, 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 you know, and that's why I, I think at times it can be overrated that having the C or the A on your jersey. Um, you know, I think another great example with uh, Wayne Gretzky, I, I think when he went to the Rangers, he, he wasn't a captain or assistant captain, but I'm sure he still provided leadership to that, to that team, right? I mean, he's the greatest yeah. player of all time. I'm sure he's got, you know, things to, to pass on to, to, to his teammates. So again, you don't need that, right? And, and, and maybe in Marlowe's case, it was as simple as, uh, you know, I, 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 that's not how I lead and that's not how I want to lead. And this is what I'm more comfortable with. Yeah, and I think uh, I read Jeremy Roenick's book uh, a long time ago and he mentioned in his book how when he was in San Jose with uh, at the same time that Marlowe was, he was so upset with Marlowe and he showed up at his house and he told him, you're not vocal enough. You don't, um, you know, you don't lead verbally kind of thing. You just go about your business. You're soft spoken. And that was his issue with Marlowe being one of the leaders. And I think maybe what Ronick didn't understand is like that type of leadership is not within Marlowe, but he is clearly a good mentor. He's, I mean, from what we've seen with the Leafs, like he clearly developed really good relationships with his teammates and cared for them. And so, Maybe he just shines as a leader in that capacity, but it's unfair to expect him to be that vocal leader because it's unfair to expect everyone to have all those qualities in one person. Correct, and we saw that in Toronto, right? He, he, you know, he was a leader. I don't think he was all that much in front of the media, all that much. But what he did for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, I think, was was awesome, right? He had them living at his house really teaching them how to, how to be professionals, how to take care of yourself and, and, um, and, and doing it in his way. And I think that's what we got to, you know, I think, you know, GMs, coaches, even us fans, we have to realize that players let them lead in a way that they're comfortable and, and how they can serve the club the best. And if that, if that means, you know, you're not going to be the, the raw, raw vocal leader. That's okay. Let someone else do that. You know, and, and maybe that's what Ronick should have been doing. Maybe that was more his role, you know, in, in the case of San Jose. And, uh, but let, let Marlowe maybe lead more by example. Uh, he's probably more that, that, that quiet type of leader. So, you know, and, and, but yet can still be very effective. And that's why it takes probably, uh, you know, it takes more than one that, that, that leadership by committee is probably more important. Yeah. And I think there's a really important lesson to draw here, even outside of sports and, and just uh, organizational settings everywhere. Um, is like maybe don't force a certain type of leadership quality on one person because you expect them to have it. Let them, let them display that type of leadership that they're most comfortable with and that they're that they're the best at and leave the other qualities and other behaviors to other leaders. hundred percent. I think that's, that's a very sage advice. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, uh, before we end, is there anything you would like to, um, promote or mention maybe Twitter handle, where can people find you? Yeah. On Twitter, as my Twitter handle, um, I'm not super active on social media, but, uh, you know, I do put things up there from time to time. 
Um, we have um, a, a website, uwindsor.ca slash sports psychology, where it highlights a lot of the research that we're doing in our lab and along with, um, with what the students are doing. I think um, they're really the engines that drive a lot of this. I've been blessed to work with great graduate students over the years and they get me thinking about leadership in, in different ways and different perspectives and uh, so check that out and see what they're doing. I think it's, uh, it's wonderful work and they really help innovate and push the boundaries of what we're doing with, with leadership in sport. So what, what do you guys have in the works these days? Any, what kind of projects are you looking at? Well, one that's probably um, very topical right now with COVID is that we just finished collecting data on um, COVID-19, like a leadership in crisis and what it looks like within our, uh, some of our sport teams right now and how the leadership had to adapt during the crisis and what it looked like and who was doing what. And, and um, so we're, we're just starting to, well, they're in the, we're in the middle of transcribing those interviews. So we, we did a qualitative piece there. So that's, I think that's going to be very timely. Um, we're doing stuff on this idea of shared leadership, but uh, how coaches can, can um, facilitate it and develop it within their, their teams. And what we found there was uh, pretty neat in that there's not uh, one, one way to do it. There's not one size fits all. Uh, coaches do it differently and they promote it differently and they foster it differently. And the nice part was it was contingent upon the, the players on their team and what they had, you know, what would work with a young team might necessarily wouldn't work with a veteran team. And so the, the shared leadership looks quite differently in that case. So we're working on that. We um, doing some stuff on authentic leadership as well. And um, that's been, been pretty awesome so far this idea of being authentic and genuine is uh i think we can do all these behaviors well but if we if we don't if we're not um genuine or or authentic then um we're probably not as effective and uh, so we're doing some work on, on that front so we're we we're we're a busy lap we, we try to you know stay busy and stay um stay relevant and and do research that that's you know, the cliche cutting edge and innovative. And I, I really do believe that though. We we're um, really proud of, of what we've, what, what we're doing here and uh, the, the students who are doing it are just simply amazing. They, they push me to be a better leader, a better mentor, a better advisor. And, uh, but ultimately what it does, it helps, you know, our teams, our athletes perform better. So kudos to them. That's, that's good stuff. You guys got a lot on the go and hopefully, once you wrap up a lot of those projects, we'll do round two and you can recap us on what you yeah. found. That'd be awesome. You know, maybe the one thing I did forget to mention and yeah, it, uh, you know, we're trying to develop these leadership behaviors and our previous probably last five, six years, what we showed was that we can develop them. But the one thing what wasn't happening was the reach. We weren't reaching out, you know, hitting a lot of people. And, you know, um, we had started just prior to COVID using these online platforms to try to deliver some of our, um, some of our programs. So that way we can reach athletes from, you know, anywhere in the world right now. 
right? With whether it's Zoom or Skype or Teams or, you know, whatever platform it is. So we're, we're going to try to, you know, create some of these online, you know, platforms. So uh, the idea is to try to reach as many athletes and coaches as we can to, to try to, you know, train and help people be better leaders. So um, that's what's, what, that's what's happening next now. So it's all pretty exciting stuff.